What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week. Some of us in America, some of us in the UK. I don't want to point any fingers. Wow, you're good. Yeah, you'll never figure out who, London calling, love. (laughs) Justin's in London. It's pretty late for him right now, but we're going to jump into it. It's the spooky hour for him there, so we're going to start... It's a very serious, there's a lot of spooky comics in this very stack. Oh, we're talking oh my about. God. This first one, it freaked me the fuck out, man. Kicking it off with Creep Show number one from Image Comics, written by Chris Burnham, Paul Dinney, and Stephen Langford, art by Chris Burnham and John McRae. This is two short horror stories set, I don't know, generously in the Creep Show universe. But if you watch the show on Shudder, that is from Greg Nicotero. This is him ushering it into comic books. And I'll, I'll tell you why. This, I don't know if you guys remember, but there were two Creepshow movies back in the day. And one of the very first comics that I ever distinctly remember reading was Marvel Comics adaptation of, I think it was Creepshow 2, that I read Uh... a million times. And this took me right back there. Like 100%. It was like this sense memory thing of, oh yeah, okay. And to that point, I think they nailed that. Uh, yeah, and this also had um, – I mean, we're going to talk about a fair amount of sort of horror anthology uh, or anthology-adjacent comics today. And this was one of my favorites of the the bunch because it had that element of telling us like this those books from back in the day, the scariest stories you ever heard, part two, oh, uh, yeah, part yeah. one, part two, part three, where it was like these stories that were just like very simple, very straightforward, and honestly a little bit – cheesy in the right way where it's cheesy in a way where it's like oh i see this is like a suburban story where these regular kids are doing this thing but the way they punch you with the horror just got me the first story specifically the very last page there's a little like tiny jump twist at the end and it worked on me yeah i was like no uh i screamed no a couple of times in this comic and uh yeah screamed yeah, you were this reading was, this book and you screamed, blood curdling. I I was very scared and also like this is really fucked up. Like in the you know kids die. You don't really see kids in this bad shape in comic books. So that was really fucked wow. up. And then you know you you always go to kids parties and you wonder about what type of person would put on these masks and do these types of things. And, uh, you know, the worst fear come true in this. And it's just like they're it's I mean, what's I think what people would like about if you're into the horror scene is the fact that they're willing to go there and to kind of like uh, do fucked up shit. But, man, well, I think thank you. That's the difference. And I kind of love thinking about this. I don't know why I I enjoy you think about eating kids. I love eating kids. They're delicious. No, I love thinking about different anthology programs and like the 10 degrees that make them slightly different from each other. Like Twilight Zone and Outer Limits are pretty close, for example. But Twilight Zone is always like a little bit of a moral at the end. Like, well, shouldn't have done that. Versus Outer Limits is just a weird sci-fi thing. Amazing stories very much in that genre. But it's more the Steven Spielberg thing of like, gosh, this is this is 
pretty weird, huh? And then you got on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Tales of the Crypt and the Creep Shows, where Tales of the Crypt is always like some dark twist at the end, where you're like, ooh, I'm the yeah. Crypt Keeper and I got you with a silly pun. Creep Show is like, yeah, I'm like that, but I'm way fucked up. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and particularly getting like Chris. You think Burnham. they're related? The Crip, Creep Show and Crip Keeper? And it's like, what? Well, right. I was like, I'm the weird cousin of Creep Show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But from an art perspective here, having Chris Burnham and John McRae in particular are just yeah. perfect for this type of thing. And I just had a blast reading this. I could totally understand how it's too gross, too creeped out, but I had a really good time. Now, Pete, you mentioned that you were legit scared reading this. And could you just yeah. describe that for the listeners? Is that you just like biting your fingernails? Like, hey, are you like pulling on your like uh, collar? Or are you just like rubbing your cheeks? You no, said no, you I'm, screamed. I'm reading it. And, you know, we've all been there. The, you know, reading? you get to the. And, and to just the, to paint a picture, Pete is in his bed clothes at this point. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah. Oh, my his, God. His knit caps. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there, like the jackpot that is when you're a kid trick-or-treating the please-take-one scenario, or when you get to the house that is handing out full candy bars, and then you and your friends change your costumes and keep going back. But uh, Surely we've all done that thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, uh, reading Classic this kids is just kind of like, oh, my God, I would have died. Because sometimes when you're watching a horror movie or reading a horror comic, you're like, well, I wouldn't do that, so I'm good. But in this, you're like, oh, I would have fucking died. Pete, I understand your connection to the book. I get all that. I see why it scared you. But I want a physical description of you being scared. Is there chattering teeth? Are your toes curled? And I was just like, no, you know. And then the you know, jot the book away from me. You know what I mean? You you threw the book across the room because your butt was so tight. Would not just help you, Justin. He did the Scooby Doo thing. He had the legs above the ground, and then he was running away and screamed, "Jinkies!" Yeah. No, no, I just the I got the book away from me. I don't throw it because it's art, and I'm not going to trash something that somebody worked so hard on. Uh, so you but, threw it into a bag and board across the <laughs> I, I was like the Michael Jordan of comic book horror. You know, because I, uh, you know, I uh, my eyes aren't so good, so I had it close to my face, and then I just screamed no. And I'll got tell you what, if away. anybody ever figures out how to take a comic book and throw it across the room into a bag and board, they are the king of comic books. Yeah. <laughs> Jim yeah, Ghibli. All right, why don't we talk about Exterminators, number one from Marvel, written by Leah Williams, art by Carlos Gomez. This is taking Boom Boom, Jubilee, at Dazzler. Three Get in the Doom Room. Three light-based superheroes that all kind of do the same thing and yep. putting them in a situation where they get wasted and kidnapped by vampires. A little bit of a spoiler there, I guess, for the issue. Uh, Justin, I know you love this one, so why don't you talk about this? I like this. This um, I, I know it uh, like you lay out the premise and it is like uh, maybe a little bit uh, goofy. But what I liked about it is it puts these characters sort of out their personality forward. Um, they're in like um, some like like harrowing but goofy situations. Um, they're very much like just trying to party. Uh, I guess it just felt like in the world of all these comics that we read, in the world of the other X Men, we're going to talk about X Men book we're going to talk about here uh, later in the stack. This felt like sort of a refreshing like 
uh, party book featuring characters that we know. And I just, it, from Marvel, I feel like we just don't see that much um, at all anymore. And I appreciated it. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is fun. It's definitely like uh, I liked the kind of jokes and them kind of busting on each other and stuff like that. It was fun, the back and forth. Um, yeah, and I'm interested to see kind of like with the reveal how this moves forward. Uh, I really thought I was going to hate this more than I did. I, it was a pleasant surprise. That's a glowing uh, review did. from PLP. <laughs> yeah, what they did with it uh, was was pretty cool. I thought this was delightful. Honestly, I don't want to undersell what I was saying at the beginning here. Love all these characters. I love Dazzler. I love Jubilee. I love Boom Boom. They're very fun together. The way Leah Williams write them is very fun. The way Carlos Gomez draws them is very fun. Them having a drunken, debaucherous, bloody evening with people exploding and getting hurt. It felt to me like this is the closest that mainstream Marvel can get to a black label book without actually getting as far as a black label book over DC can go. And I enjoyed that. My one little qualm was about two thirds away of the book. And they kind of point this out where I realized, like, wait a second, they all do the same thing. What's going on yeah. here? In slightly different ways. Boom, boom, yeah, sure. countdown. Um, but uh, it's it, to your point, Ox, it's sort of Harley Quinn-esque, um, this book uh, in the Marvel universe. Um, and I, like I said, you just don't get a lot of like party books anymore. Reminds me of some like early Dan slot work. Um, some of the books that were really like comedy forward and just like freewheeling. Totally agree. Sp- hey, speaking of Harley Quinn, our next book <gasps> is what? Harley Quinn 30th anniversary anniversary special. Number one from DC comics written by, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Pabiani, Paul Dini, Raphael Scavone, Sam Humphreys, Stefan Sepchik, Rob Williams, Stephanie Williams, Stephanie Cecil Castellucci, Cami Garcia, Mindy Lee, and Terry Dodson. Art by Chad Harden, Gillam March, Raphael Albuquerque, Erica Henderson, Stephen Sedgick, John Timms, <laughs> Riley Rosmo, Dan Hip, Miko Sayan, and Jason Badauer, and Terry Dodson. As you can tell from the title, this is a bunch of stories from classic and new Harley Quinn teams telling stories of Harley throughout her different eras. And this is another great collection from DC Comics, I thought. And I'll tell you what, I like Harley in general. I feel like she purposefully could become a bit much. So I was trepidatious going into this. I came out really enjoying pretty much all of these stories. I I what agree. A, I, I really think that like this, as far as the collection of stories go, this is a really a cut above because I was really impressed with not only the stories in here, but all of them together, how great they were. I really, uh, also the covers are amazing. The head explosion one was my favorite. Um, but the Amanda Connor Jimmy P story was really great. The Alfred Harley Quinn team up was great. The one that kind of looked like Adventure Time was a, a lot of fun. And of course, I love the Kirky one with the hyenas. But yeah, I was really impressed. I also was like, all right, here we go. Collection of Harley Quinn uh, stories, but uh, really well done. What I think is great about this is it does a great uh, job of t- taking in a lot of different Harley sort of uh 
points of view or her different personality traits that um, she tends to have in different writers' hands. We see a nice variety of those, and it's matched with a great variety of artists. Like, there's some uh, more austere, like, uh, realistic art, and some of the more freewheeling stuff um, in the the beginning and end. Uh, like, Riley Rossmo's story, I feel like, is yeah. it's great uh, for that sort of almost Batman the Animated Series-esque uh, art. Uh, you see some great Catwoman stuff here. Um, uh, Amanda Connor doesn't draw her story, but that story um, has such her energy and, and Jimmy P yeah. there too, teaming her up with Alfred rather than Batman, which I thought was fun. Um, just a lot of, like you're saying, everyone's saying, just a lot of great stuff. Yeah, it's also a rogues gallery of talent here. All of the artists, like I love all the writers, but definitely seeing the artists, I was like, oh, I love Ralphiel. Albuquerque stuff. I love Riley Rosmo's stuff. Um, Erica Henderson. This is this is great. So they put together a really nice package here. Very very fun book. Definitely pick it up. Stop yeah, the Guillaume March story is really well done too. Stuff of Nightmares, number one for Boob Studios, written by R.L. Stein, art by A.L. Kaplan. This is a messed up variation on a Frankenstein story. And for those of you who like the old Goosebumps, this definitely goes far more extreme in terms of the violence and horror going on here for R.L. Stein. I'll tell you what, this is definitely a bad place to start the review. But my main thing reading this book is the entire time I was trying to remember the name of Stuff of Legend, which was a great book oh, about yeah, a bunch of toys that. who yeah, were going oh, yeah. on an adventure stuff, together. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what is that? Wait, this is it's not Stuff of Nightmares. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? So I was reading this book, but was very distracted the entire time. That's weird. That uh, it'll be hard to fit that quote on the cover, but I'm sure they'll want it. Carl <laughs> <laughs> Stein will be like, thanks. Yeah, I mean, at the with the title, I was like, "Nope, this is not going to be for me." And yeah, I mean, it's it's really messed up and dark and <laughs> twisted. So, but the art is really great. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, faces and all the stuff is done uh, really well. The shading, the coloring, especially some really great panels and and really Pete, intense did you get, storytelling. Did you get very spooked by the stack this time? Yeah, it was. It's a spooky stack. It's a haunted stack. Yeah. The, all the books are doing the monster mash, and that little fucking creature thing creeped me the fuck out. Why? Because he was a giant baby saying, "Help me, help me." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, that, that thing is going to pop up in a nightmare for sure. Help me, Pete. No, don't. Don't. Help, don't. help me. Don't. Uh, no, just for the man. listener, Pete leaned no. back and took his headphones off because he just no. got scared by me saying that. Just to be clear, he's scared right now. You can see because his teeth are chattering and he's biting his finger. I was like, hi, 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 hi. Yeah. And he, uh, I think, just ran away from the podcast and went, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what you're doing. Jinkies. It's, they do that thing, they jump in the air. Scooby and their and feet Shaggy. move, but they yeah, don't they make go, them go. Blah, blah, blah. They That's like a anywhere. tongue thing, but it's not how the blah, feet sound. They don't. They don't do the tongue thing. It's what their feet. They're because they're yeah. running on air. I just the they're, what they're doing is skirting. The noise doesn't match what you're setting up. Is my complaint. Um, this was uh, this was scary. Also, um, I like the other ones. Um, I thought a lot more blood in this than our, our some of our other anthologies. And uh, mm-hmm. this one is a little, uh, it's not self-contained. I think we're going to get a continuation of this story next week. But 
Um, this reminded me a little bit of some of the um, Joe Hill DC titles Ooh, yeah, that were yeah, coming yeah. out a couple of years ago, like Basket Full of Heads. Um, so fun. I I'll just throw out there. I don't really get the R.L. Stein thing. Goosebumps is not anything that I really read as a kid. And every time that I've tried to venture into it, I sort of felt like he's like, yeah, I don't know. This is a scary idea. What do you think? And that's what I sort of get here. But I did like the tone of it. I thought the characters were fun. And I think over a continuing series, I'm more interested to see this rather than as a done-in-one scary tale, scary tale, excuse me. So, excited to see where this goes. Ooh, Next up, tale. Scary Tale. Vanished, number one, from Image Comics, written by Donny Cates, art by Ryan Stegman. I don't want to spoil the twist here too much, but this kicks off with a very Harry Potter-esque chosen one narrative about a guy who was uh, supposed to save the world. Cut into him years later. He's a worthless drunk until something happens. This is a twist on magic books. This is a twist on superheroes. This is exactly what you expect from the sort of twist that Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman deliver on all of their books. And I think they 100% delivered here. Do you guys agree? Uh, uh, yeah, th- this book, it reminded me, it, it, it sort of caught me off guard. It felt like it was coming from a couple different sources. Um, it almost reminded me of um, The Magic Order, the mm-hmm. um, uh, Mark Millar book, meets like 90s Top Cow art uh, in, 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 and with a little bit of the Harry Potter like narrative thrown in here. Um, so it, it was sort of like that that – type of uh, references that I was like, oh, it kept me a little bit like, oh, I'm, I'm surprised to see all these things together until we get into sort of the twist of the story. And I was like, okay, it's almost like that I could, if I could phrase it, I'm picking up what you're putting down is what I would throw out in this book. Yeah, I mean, first off, Alex, uh, you know, when you say worthless drunk, I mean, uh, I take a little offense to that. I mean, if you're dedicating your life to booze, I don't know if that's worthless. You know what I mean? Like, um, Interesting. But uh, I do think that I, I looked at this and I was like, oh, my God, this team is amazing. I'm very excited to read this. But then it just took forever. I felt like a lot of times when you're reading a comic, you're like, oh, I want more. I want more. This is a, a big comic. You get a lot of pages. And I was just like, what are we doing? I, I don't know. I felt like it, it took. Not hitting for Pete. It wasn't mm, hitting. And I, and I like where it ended. And I'm interested to see where it goes. But I just felt like. This took a long time telling the, the for the setup. Well, I think to Justin's point, this feels like, at least in this first issue, three concepts at the same time. So yeah. it it's not one idea in the first issue. It's like, what if uh, the chosen one years later had saved the world and had nothing else to do, catching up with him. So you got that idea. And then you have the idea of like, this is getting into spoilers here if you haven't read the books or tune out for a second. But what if superheroes weren't actually superheroes, but had something secret and more dastardly going on in the background? And then the final concept, which is introduced on the last page, which, Justin, I think you're 100% apropos in terms of saying top cow, it feels very top cow to me. Is like, what if the guy who was the villain was actually the hero, and what if the heroes were the villain? 
And so you got all of those things going on at the same time. So it's a lot of setup in this first issue. So, Pete, I'm very curious to see what you think now that all that setup is out of the way. I think we definitely should talk about the second issue and see what's going on there. Um, yeah. Now that you've gotten like the setup out of the way, how does the concept work? How do these potentially dueling concepts work for you? I'm very curious to hear. But I guess we'll see you next month. Yeah. Next up, here's one that I didn't think was going to work for me and 100% did. Titans United Blood Pact, number one, <laughs> from DC Comics, written by Kevin Scott, art by Luca Meyer. The reason is I I missed the whole Titans era. So, like, I missed the mm. Teen Titans. I missed the Titans era. So what I about no Teen Titans Go? Did you get into that? Enjoy that. Teen Titans okay. Go to the movies is maybe the best superhero movie. <laughs> But uh, so I enjoy all the individual characters, but I don't really have any nostalgia for it. So throwing it into a situation where they're all fighting a bunch of characters that I don't necessarily know, then introducing Baron Blood and it feels all very 90s. I was like, okay, here we go with another Titans book. But there's a twist that happens about three quarters of the way through the book that I was like, okay, this is working for me. I'm enjoying this. And I think that comes down to... Gavin Scott, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, maybe yeah. months oh, ago at this point. We should have talked like, to him about this book. We didn't, Pete. I know you've been doing that bit for a while. We didn't talk to him about this. So. You're right. We didn't. We <laughs> fucking failed. <laughs> anyway, he knows to ri- how to write his way around a book, and I think he's done it once again here. What did you guys think? We should have uh, I feel like talk to him about it. There are, nice. Uh, there are a lot of books where it throw around words like blood pact. And I love that this book was literally like, oh, you're going to see a blood pack. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but I agree with you, Alex. Like this was um, – I also was have never been like a crazy Titans guy. It wasn't uh, what I was reading in that time. Um, but I, I like this book. I think this lets us, uh, us non-Titans folks in in a good way. Yeah, I feel like this is a classic uh, Titans story, which is good. And uh, the art's really great. Uh, I think this uh, sets up nicely uh, what's going forward and gets us excited for more in a good way. So I also was pleasantly surprised by this. Um, I also really love the backup. I thought that was a really great story as well. I'm excited for more of that. I think there's a preview for an upcoming comic. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I'm very excited about the preview. We'll just take that out in <laughs> editing. You know Bat- I mean? Batman and the yeah, Joker. I'll just, I'll just the deadly duo. Out. Definitely. Yeah, the deadly yeah, we, duo. Let's talk. Hey, we could get the yeah, producer on board. Write and I, down, let me write down the time code. Yeah, for that that's so just time code. This, so it's a yeah, yeah, time I'm just going to talk to the producer real quick, who, as we know, is a, um, a giant baby. Help me. <laughs> oh, no. Help I, knew, I knew this was going to be a running bit. And I'm so. It's not, it's, no, it's no. It's okay. Because I just listen to uh, a fucking baby every Pete time you do his, that. Pete took his headphones off, so he can't hear cool, us. Man. He can't hear us right now. But he's. Uh, we've moved on though. Uh, Judgment about- Day. Help <laughs> me. <laughs> this is not just a bit in this one. This is an ongoing light. This is a light bit. Pete is I'll taking off his glasses. He's wiping the sweat off his brow. Oh my god. He's, he's changed he's- into his nightgown and his nightcap. There's a. There's one candle by him and a. A little candle holder. What are you talking shaking. about? 
He's so shaking. scared, his nightcap is jumping off his head and hovering above it for uh, seconds. If our you got some judgment dancing day? skeletons that are next to him doing like a little clackety skeleton dance. Anyway, Judgment Day number five from Marvel, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Valerio Shidi. In this issue, after the big cliffhanger of the last issue, where it looks like the Celestial is going to kill everybody on Earth, he does it. He well, did yeah, do it. he's killing. He's killing people. He kills is killing. a couple of people. Yeah, no, people are dying and then being reborn egg styles. But I'm just, like, just going to put this out there because we tend to be very positive. We like to talk about positive. Uh, we love comics. We, we love comics. Uh, like Kieran Gillen, like Valerio Shidi, this event is a mess. Uh, well, I do feel that like it's picked up steam. And like the last issue, like things really started to happen. And this issue, I feel like they're doing a good job moving things forward. I'm enjoying this now more in these last two issues than I have since it started. So I'm really looking forward to what's going to happen and where things are going. Um, It's interesting how you guys have switched position a little bit. hmm. Which position are you in, Justin? Yeah. Great question. Well, I was... I was just looking at the book, and I want to just shout out the fact that uh, perhaps, Pete, you liked it because the last bit is Cyclops is a great leader, but he's not how, who Earth needs right now. This is Nightcrawler saying this. Nightcrawler literally is like, should we bring Cyclops back to life? <laughs> nah. <laughs> nope. Let's bring someone else. Yeah. And so I think that may be a little taste of why our guy PLP is enjoying Can this comic. Can I ask you a question? This is a big spoiler. I'm going to jump to the end of the issue here. So... Definitely tune away if you don't want to know, but Captain America dies in this issue. He's one of the people judged and killed by the Celestial. And the thing at the end is they're like, we're going to bring back Captain America. And he bursts out of one of those mutant eggs they have in Krakoa with his shield that they resurrected him with. Come on, dude. How are you going to know it's Cap? You can't not know it's Cap. So they put his shield on his end. Don't be an his egg? Like that's what he was birthed with. He was birthed with a shield. Like as a little baby, he was like. Ka-da! I think. I think basically what ha- you know in between panels, he was punching his. Egg, I'm sorry. We ended the last issue with the celestial being like, "Well, I'm sorry. I'm judging all life on Earth. You're all God." And this issue is like, "I'm gonna take you out individually." <laughs> well, he as killed a do. bunch of people, but we're only seeing parts of it. I mean, what are you doing right now? This you know is, how comics this work. This is not good. This is not a good. You want to see I'm every sorry. single person die? Is what you're saying? You want no, to see it all? like that. Yes, actually. Like, listen, I went on a whole rant about secret wars back in the day. I still have to go back and revisit that and prove myself wrong since I'm sure I was wrong about that. But wow. at least I appreciate the audacity of Jonathan Dickman being like, we're going to end the earth. Well, we did. And here it yeah. feels like we're going to end the earth. But very slowly, with enough time for them to solve this problem. Well, first time reading comics, asshole? Come on, dude. <laughs> well, well, but it, it, wow. Uh, but here, let me, because I agree with you, Alex. Uh, this, I am a little lost in this, and I'm not. I, I think what this crossover is doing is reckoning with a lot of the topical things happening in Marvel comics. Um, you got the X-Men being reborn all the time, not agreeing with everyone else. You got the Eternals. They're having a whole war within themselves and dealing with uh, reckoning with their gods. You've got the Avengers who are just living inside the dead husk of a celestial. So I can see where it's like, look, this all, all this stuff, it relates to each other. So that's cool. But I think, and 
and dealing with that is interesting, but there's no overarching narrative thrust pushing us through this, these ideas. It's just like these ideas are spinning around in a blender and we're seeing Captain America come out of an X-Men thing. We're seeing Eternals um, influencing the X-Men uh, in their daily daily lives. It's like it's mess, it's mixing things up, but it's not going anywhere, it feels like. And that's what I'm missing here. It, we've talked a little bit about how sometimes – all the extraneous stuff around events, miniseries and whatever is like, I don't need to read this. Why do I need to read this? This title is like reading the news, you know, without any of the asterisks or anything where it's like, you got to be reading these 50 other miniseries to understand what's going on here because otherwise it's just like the headlines. Like it's all headlines and that's pretty much it. It's driving me insane. The other thing that's driving me a little insane is like, you fuckers did this to yourself. Like nobody is mentioning out loud the fact that they brought the celestial advice to life to judge everybody, to stop the Eternals from killing the X-Men. And they seem to have just skipped past that in the narrative. Nobody, everybody's like, well, got to deal with this problem. And there's no classic Marvel. There's no emotion going on. Like Captain yeah. America died and Iron Man's like, all right, on to the next thing. Let's figure something out. Let's uh, we got to stop the celestial. I'm like, Jesus Christ, take a beat. Take a beat here to be like my best friend died. Like, give me yeah, but, something to hold on to here. But they have the eggs. You know what I mean? They're they're like, how are you on Team X Men now? For months, I've been strange. leaving X Men books strange. out of the stack because it is too painful to me to he talk about them. them. And now suddenly in. you're like, I love this crossover. I love the eggs. Bring it all. <laughs> he I wants all. Say, I, I didn't say I loved it, but it's continuity. So it's it's a different world we're living in where it's like uh, somebody dies well fucking fry up the egg machine and like <laughs> let's fucking make some fucking grown people you know I, w- <laughs> I will say Pete for s- I think you need to reread some of these X-Men books to really understand the whole egg deal yeah <laughs> alright why don't we talk about somebody else who is getting resurrected in Berserker number 10 from Boom Studios written yeah. by Keanu Reeves and Matt Kitt art by Ron Gardy in this issue Keanu Reeves character who I'm blanking on the name of is back to life and he is pretty fried but he's slowly growing his hair back as they are figuring out how to bring him back to his origins Pete I know you're pretty high on this so take it away yeah, this is a ton of fun. Uh, the art, Ron Garney on the art is just unbelievable. This is just um, very cool to kind of see this character kind of like evolving and kind of growing in real time in this comic. And uh, I like what they're doing with this. This is really just over the top action, fun, badass uh, stuff here. And I'm having a blast. I love the colors, love the inks. This is just uh, a really impressive, crazy, cool book turned up to 11. It's uh, number 10, like though, because book- I've got people giving me a lot of shit on this podcast, so I want to make sure. Did you just say it's turned up to number 10 then? No, it's, you know, it's a phrase turned up to 11, but it's issue number 10. It's, only, it's from only like issue Ghostbusters or something. Oh, my God. Um. I, I think this issue's turned up to uh, ten, um, <laughs> just from a numbering issue um, on it. Uh, but I, what I like about this this comic is it's almost mythological in the way it's yeah. telling the story. It's like telling a story about this godlike character that's moving Keanu forward. Reeves. 
Keanu Reeves. And um, you, you see the people around this God character that are fucking with him, maybe trying to help him, uh, the different angles through. It's all about their one point of view on the thing. It's just great, simple storytelling. And the Ron Garney art, it really hits. Oh, yeah. Shirtless Bear Fighter 2, number two from Image Comics, written by Jody LaHoop, art by Nil Vendrell. In this issue, our shirtless bear fighter is trying very hard to get a job, but it's just not working out because he keeps wanting to fight bears. Um, also, I, you got to have a shirt. Yeah. Uh, shirtlessness shirt. is the yeah. real Achilles heel. Yeah. We That's get, true. It's really cost him in this issue. I... Just from a comedy perspective, I appreciate that they are on the second series of this, the second issue of the second series, and they keep finding different ways of playing out this concept. It is very fun. Yeah, you would think it's uh, they're kind of beating a dead horse at this point, but they're doing a great job of having new things happen to this character in fun ways. I'm still really loving this comic. I think it's very Funny and interesting. I also love the rant about toilet paper in here. There's nothing worse than crappy toilet paper. But uh, this is just not only amazing art, but uh, just great action and comedy all blended into one there. Uh, Nice. Uh, I have a lot of follow-up questions about the toilet paper thing, but I'll save those for our uh, weekly meetup. Um, (laughs) uh, I agree. This is fun. Um, I really want this guy to put a shirt on. You know, really? just to no. Well, I, it would make his life better. Mm, sure, it takes away his power, so he can't do yeah, it. Yeah, it dampens his power. But yeah, he can also stop fighting bears and just be. Um, I think we're going to get to that. I'm going to get to that eventually. But he's got to go through some more stuff. You know what I mean? If you're looking for a great comedy book that delivers every time, check out Shirtless Bear Fighter. Next up, Agreed. Batman, One Bad Day, Two-Face, number one from TC Comics, written by Mariko Tamaki, art by Javier Fernandez. This is the second of the issues that delve into Batman's rogues gallery and gives them the one bad day of the title. Here we're getting a Two-Face who is reformed and just trying to set up for his dad's birthday party while somebody has threatened his dad. Batman is looking into it. We were pretty high on the first issue of this, which plumped into the Riddler. What did you think about the Two-Face one? Well, I was also really high when I read this one, but I think it's... it's. Um, wow. I, I agree that... Uh, well, first off, let me back up the truck. The art's unbelievable. Really fun covers. Uh, I I love these kind of one and done. I think what they're doing, this is fun and cool, an exploration of different characters. Here we're getting Two-Face. But the problem I was having was even Batman knew in the beginning where he was like, uh, you know, couldn't just be Two-Face the whole time, right? So I felt like this was a little weird that we were going through the motions here, even though everybody was like, it's fucking Two-Faced, right? It's just fucking he's Two-Faced. A, he's Two-Faced. So he's got something up on that other face. Yeah, so uh, I was kind of like, why are, we, why are we really going through all this? It's clearly Two-Faced. So I felt like it kind of insulted Batman's intelligence a little bit with the fact that it was, you know, and again, you know, spoilers here, but, uh, uh, but, uh, other than that, it was really uh, a lot of fun and, uh, I'm glad we're getting these kind of one and done cool explorations of different villains and stuff. 
Gradar, love the inclusion of Spoiler and the other members of the Bat family in this book. Um, I agree. I think it's strange how many uh, Batman comics are like, Two-Face, he's reformed. When it's like, that guy's whole thing is not being reformed. <laughs> uh so it is a little strange. The only time he was reformed was was during like um, uh, No Man's Land, I want to mm-hmm. say, uh, and he was like, "I'm regular now." Well, I, uh, I will say this did remind me of the oh my gosh, was it Gotham Central where he was friends with Renee Montoya and sort of yeah. a mentor for her? Yeah, and, yeah, and that played out into No Man's Land, if I yes. remember correctly. And that was awesome. So just reading that, I was like, oh, yeah, that was such a good relationship because that, to me, properly played into the idea of Two-Face kind of wants to be better. The Harvey Dent part of him wants to be better, but the Two-Face part wants to be bad. And Rene Montoya truly believed that he could be better and was, of course, ultimately betrayed by him, even though she knew it. So there was this inevitability to it. Here, I think this is missing that inevitability a little bit because, to Pete's point, they make Batman a little dumb. They make Batman be like, I'm going to investigate all these other people, but not Two-Face. When He's the entire like, time oh, we're like, also, I'm a suspect. It's like, what, Batman? What the fuck are yeah. you talking about? No, I think the only su- suspect is Two Face here. So yeah. to get a, let us get ahead of that as a bummer. But like you said, Javier Fernandez's art is awesome in this book. So yes, it's worth it for the art. There you go. Chilling Adventures presents Weird Mysteries number one from Archie Comics, written by Frank Thierry, Ron Robbins, Joanna Starr, art by Federico Sabatini, Juan Bobillo, and Ryan Jample. This is, as implied by the title, three weird stories set in the Archie Comics universe, including Betty fighting aliens, among other things. And it is much more in line with the Scooby-Doo, them running in place, going, blah, 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 Stop. and running away. That's you know not, what I'm talking about, that's right? That's not the guys? sound that legs make. It's less scary than the other things that we're talking about. What did you guys think about this anthology? It was a little too weird for me because who was that? <laughs> it was weirder. It was a little too weird where I was like, I, I wasn't involved. I, I didn't really, I didn't really feel it. And also who was that pops? You know what I mean? Like that. I've never seen that iteration of pops. Pete, it was, I'm just going to say it, it is worth it for Frank Thierry writing Betty as Frank Thierry alone, because it is 100% <laughs> Frank Thierry writing Betty be like, yo, you fucking aliens. I'm going to fucking kill you right now. And that made me laugh out loud several times reading that story in particular. I thought the follow-up stories uh, were pretty fun, but it was mainly that was the main event for me, and I had I had a yeah. good time reading this. What about you, Justin? I agree with you, Alex, especially about the first story. I here's something that stuck out to me: um, uh, Betty confronts this monster Archie, and uh, one of the reasons she knows he's um, a monster is that he smells better than Archie, much better. Is it in Canada that Archie straight up stinks? <laughs> Wait, did they like say smell worse? Am I wrong about that? No. Uh, he, I second one, he, oh, yeah, I see. Archie smells better than the alien. Yes. Uh, I see. Bad criticism. I, I, You're out of I, the show. The, the first time I read it, I was like, why does Archie smell so bad? But he smells good. Yeah, he smells good. What do you there think you he, Archie smells like? 
Um, probably, he probably actually does smell bad. He's probably very sweaty all the time. He smells like acoustic guitar, I think. Jughead <laughs> definitely smells like hamburgers. Oh, yeah. No Veronica doubt. probably smells like money. What? Nice. Yeah. We're doing our top smells of Riverdale. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Why don't we move on? Uh, this is fun. If you're looking for uh, – I honestly, like, just to put it out there, I think these anthologies have been pretty good so far from Archie, particularly the horror-inflected ones. They've been pretty enjoyable. Um yeah, I, I've liked reading them. And if you're looking for some fun stuff that is not as hardcore as Riverdale or the Creepshow books or anything that we've been talking about, I think this is a good alternative. Public Domain, number four from Image Comics by Chips Dodarsky. In this issue, after the big settlement of the last issue that has allowed our main artist to create more books about his Superman, Captain America-esque character, his sons are pretty pissed off about it in different ways and dealing with that. Uh, This book continues to go in surprising directions that I absolutely was not expecting. How are you guys feeling about it? I agree Uh, completely. And I feel like we're, I'm starting to see the path forward, the rallying point. I feel like the, the win and the, the goal I think that is shaping up here. I'm super excited about. And um, I think this reminds me of if you've been missing out on sex criminals, uh, Chip Zdarsky's um, uh, book with Matt Fraction from uh, a few years ago. Uh, this has some similar bones, uh, especially Whoa. comedically. So come get some. Well, weird. All right. Anyways, uh, I'm completely thrown by that review. Um, Why? Because I said the word sex. No, because you said bones. Like there was, there was. Anyways, it shares uh, say the same comedic bones as that. Oh, yeah. I see. Did you, yeah. uh, Pete? When you were in your nightgown the other night, that skeleton tried to have sex with you. That was sex bones. The one who was like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" During the skeleton dance. Yeah. You know who are you? Yeah, it was making that noise that Alex just made. I, I appreciated the me. improv uh, <laughs> T-shirt that the uh, one of the characters was wearing that reminded me of Justin a little bit. But I also okay. think that. Um, uh, this is cool. I'm liking the way this is unfolding. I also appreciate the messiness that the family has. It feels like a real family that, uh, you know, there's no kind of like, you know, sometimes when it comes to like relationships and stuff like that, they use a lot of like short dialogue because they feel like, oh, they've known each other their whole lives. They know how they speak. I like the way that they're interacting and the kind of back and forth. It really feels uh, real. And so I'm appreciating that. I'm liking how this is all unfolding and how the things are kind of like seem not like a writer is kind of drawing out this whole arc. Like it seems messy, like real life. So I appreciate that. And uh, I, I'm very interested to see how this uh, all unfolds. I'm very intrigued that you do a good job of pulling us into this story. Uh, it gets a little meta, but I'm a, I really appreciate this book. And I think it's very creative and cool. Frankenstein New World Order number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola, Christopher Golden, and Thomas Nagowski, art by Peter Bergting. This is taking place, I assume, in some sort of future world where Frankenstein and a young girl yes. are traveling through. Uh, I want to say post-apocalyptic wasteland, but it's not. It's like post-post-apocalyptic wasteland. And I'm getting a sense. I want to throw something out at you guys. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but we meet a tribe of frog people in this Mm -hmm. issue. 
is this the far future of the BPRD universe? Because, whoa, yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. Okay. Because I think that's set up in the first issue. Yeah, because we left off BPRD in this place where it was the literal apocalypse. There were these eldritch gods that were coming down. There was a plague of frogs, and that's kind of where it ended. I think this is like directly picking up on that storyline and particularly realizing that reading this issue was very exciting to me. Um, yeah, and uh, that part is cool. And that's why I'm curious, uh, this frog uh, community they've sort of chanced upon. I'm like, eh, can't we just not trust frogs here? <laughs> yeah. I'm frogs bad business, um, but but maybe not. Um, and I, I like the connectivity there. It makes it feel um, a bit more important because otherwise this book feels like a wild flight of fancy and sort of un-Frankenstein-esque, um, yeah, which I don't mind because – I like the the sort of roots it's putting down in this um, future BPRD world. Yeah, I, I, I'm having a lot of fun with this book. The art's really awesome. There's a lot of creative uh, characters in here, a lot of great panels. I'm enjoying this kind of like Zen Frankenstein who's just kind of like walking the earth, solving problems, getting into fights. This is cool. I'm having a blast with this. I like the creepy teaser at the end that happened. That was really great. I think this is a very creative and cool comic. I've been really enjoying these issues. Duo number five from DC Comics, written by Greg Pak, art by Koi Tham. In this issue, our main characters who are stuck in the same body with nanobots decide to use them to heal the entire world with some limitations. And our two factions who are against them kind of team up to take them down. Things go predictably wrong. Uh, I... Love this book, but in a very positive way, it feels like reading a chess match, sort of, because you keep seeing these Mm. moves and counter moves, and Greg Pak in particular, like, I love Kwaifam's art, but Greg Pak is structuring it in such a way that every time one character does something, another character is like, well, got to parry against that, got to move around that thing. And just from an intellectual level, I'm really enjoying watching this game play out. Huh. Uh, Yeah, this is really intense, this issue. Things are getting crazy. You know, I hope they both survive, or if it's one thing at this point, uh, they seem really nice. But this is great art, unbelievable action, uh, cool story. Uh, I'm enjoying the heck out of this book. That Greg Pak, man, he knows what he's doing. I think it's so hard to carve out your own little uh, corner of any universe, and I think uh, Greg Pak has done a great job of doing that here. This reminds me of some old-school Valiant books um, in a good way. Uh, So uh, I, I, I think this is worth a read. The Deadliest Bouquet, number two from Image Comics, written by Erica Schultz, art by Corello Borelli. After the death of their mother, the last issue, these three sisters have been taken in by the police and are trying to figure things out. Pete... I know you've been loving this book. Talk to me about it. Yeah, I mean, this is just the classic kind of thing of like, what's better than one badass lady? Three. Um, So, yeah, I'm Mm. really enjoying this uh, kind of story as it's unraveling. Um, We're getting like back background on uh, these ladies and and their lives as they're kind of like uh, fighting in the present. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm. I'm loving this. I'm I'm loving the action. I'm loving the story. 
Uh, I appreciate the characters and what what they're kind of fighting for and their different personalities. So this is very, very cool. Uh, and I'm having a blast. I also really like the preview uh, uh, in this as well. Uh, it's not a backup, guys. It's a preview of another comic coming out. So Thank you for specifying. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. I love the specificity. Um, uh, this book is setting up um, some sort of coy mystery about um, the mother and what she did um, to raise her daughters. Um, it feels like they're being trained for some sort of uh, perhaps intense mission or something, or almost mm-hmm. Charlie's Angels asking that they each have a different specificity, all of them deadly. Um, but I'm ready to sort of open up that mystery. I'm hoping we're going to get there in the next issue. I will say I like this issue better than the first one. I thought the issue, first issue was a little oblique. It was hard to oh, get into the characters, even though I wanted to. This one, we get a little deeper into it. It's a little more fun. It's a little lighter. So I'm definitely getting more on board with the series as we go. Next up, Nightwing number 96 from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Rodondo. It all goes down Ooh. this issue between Nightwing and... Uh. Blockbuster, Blockbuster, thank you. Yeah. The Kingpin video. of the DC Universe. Not, not he the doesn't video, like the, the fact that he never returned Dangerous Liaisons after months and months and months. <sighs> yeah. And he is coming for him. No Twizzlers, no free popcorn with his rental or anything like that. Nightwing's done. Yeah. But, you know, it's not done... Uh, Nightwing's relationship with Barbara Gordon, and we get oh, one on. of the most beautiful affirmations. Babs of and that. Robin, this is yeah. I mean, this is this is really peak just relationship. Really great. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, peak ship here. Um, it's, uh, this book always um, has sort of the full package. You've got some great superhero stuff. You have revelations for our main character Nightwing, but great also art. some great emotional moments at the same time. Tom Taylor is just. He sort of has the formula cracked right now, I feel like, in in the DC universe. And I will just keep reading this book for as many. If we, this came out every 45 minutes, I'm reading every issue. <laughs> yeah, I agree. This is, uh, this, is, this is great comics. Just absolutely great comics. Um, and, you know, spoilers, Blockbuster is dead now. In real life, the mo- video place is dead. And now the villain is dead. So, oh you know, what we all have to just move... What a move huge in, announcement. Move on with our lives. We have to move yeah. on. Pete, you know you're I mean? smiling because you don't have to return your video of Cruel Intentions, right? Yeah. Wow. You still have it on VHS? That is a <laughs> sick reference, bro. Uh, but, you know, wrong. Thanks, wrong. Let me just say, me. I feel like. Cleaning the cele- cube is what us, I have. And well, they'll never us, get it back. We're celebrating uh, Blockbuster's death is the same way that the England celebrated the death of the Queen. Oh, wow, dude. We're going to have a day. This book is phenomenal. I spend a lot of time reading every issue being like, wow, this is like DC's Hawkeye. Wow, this is like DC's Daredevil. But ultimately, this is, wow, this is like DC's Nightwing, and this is the ultimate Nightwing run. They're absolutely killing it. I'm very excited to see what happens over the next four issues as we march towards issue 100. I feel like it's going to be a big one. And I want to give a shout out in particular to Bruno Redondo's art. His layouts are phenomenal every yeah, single issue. The, the panels and the fight sequence is so fun. Next Bruno's up, art is Redondo. Ah, 
Rogues Gallery, number three from Image Comics Story by Declan Shalvey and Hannah Rose May, art by Hannah Rose May and art by Justin Mason. We talked to Declan Shalvey about this on our live show just this very week on the podcast. Don't say it, Pete. Don't do not say it. And in this issue, after flashing back to show us these characters being pissed that they're at an actress is leaving their favorite superhero show and then showing us what was going on with the actress and why she quit. We bring those two stories together in an apocalyptic way, this issue. This is so good and so dark. I can't believe we only have one more issue of this series, but they are uh, crushing it so far. Yeah, I agree. Like I've, uh, I said this on the live show, but like I feel like this comic um, got us on board with um, these characters um, at least a little bit. They're up to no good, but we're like feeling some sympathy for um, uh, their situation. Totally flipped the script in the second issue, and the third issue, it all sort of becomes the horror show that um, I didn't see coming anyway, and. Uh, I'm, I feel like it's going to get worse and more intense in the final issue. And I just the, – the perspective switching this series does has been great. This was like – I was having so much fun. This was such a great comic, an unbelievable art. Uh, the problem for me is when things got real meta and then she picked up a comic book with bloody hands and then touched the pages of the comic Like what the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? It increases like, the value. No, no, it does yeah. not. No, so, Pete, in, a, in a situation, just going to throw it out there. You're in a situation where there's you a have home gloves in, at the ready. You, if you have a comic book collection, yep. you've already seen a dead body. Somebody is coming to kill you. You're like, well, time to put on the gloves. Don't want to ruin the comic book I have to look at. That's what you do. Well, first off, if it's your comic, you know what it fucking says on the inside. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to go back. And look. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, wow. Also, if it's you know what I mean, like you don't you don't ruin this comic that everybody's looking to get because it's worth so much with your bloody fucking fingers, man. I'll you throw know this I mean? out there. I think this is misogyny, Pete. I think you're being misogynistic, frankly. Wow, really? What? Wow. How does that? Uh, because he's criticizing a woman for doing something. No, oh, <laughs> I don't think that's fair. Yeah. All right. I mean, if you if she. Could have just like maybe used a non-bloody finger to to kind of like turn the page a little bit. That would have been. I think he's just criticizing the comic for letting itself be bloodied. Oh, okay. All right, you're going to be a cabogenist. All right, I'm just going to move on. This book is very good. Black Adam. It is really great. uh, Yeah, I tried to rile up Pete here and it didn't work. Black Adam number four from DC Comics. Written. The things have changed. Written by Priest, art by Rafa Sandoval. In this issue, Black Adam is continuing to explore what has happened to him with this weird extraterrestrial plague. Meanwhile, White Adam, his heir, is also exploring his own powers. What do you guys think about this one? I think this. Is I very love this cool. book. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I love this book. I have not been a huge Black Adam reader or fan um, for uh, his his run or uh, a lot of his appearances. This uh, book, I like that it's sort of operating on two levels. Um, I like our our new White Adam character. Uh, it's just a the tone of this book is 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 really nice for me, and the art is also great. Yeah, I really like the new guy here that we get in this comic. I uh, really love how creative and cool the art is. Um, 
the pace and the action. This is, uh, I'm having a good time. Let's move on and talk about Ice Cream Man number 32 from oh Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by How Martin How do you talk Marazzo, about this? How and, do you talk about this? And Chris O'Halloran. Uh, so we love this book, right? This is one of Jack. the best books on the stand for the past 32 Continues issues. Continues to be. Knocking out of the park. This book has gone through a metamorphosis I think in the past couple of issues in particular, where it has gone from nihilistic straight horror to just nihilistic reality, if that's a fair way of putting it, where this issue is dealing with a guy who is in rehab and there are ice cream man touches like horrible creatures and there's weird supernatural things popping in, but it deals with the reality of rehab and it is gutting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I think to to me that's the point. Like I think the reality is scarier. Like this leaves me with more of a sunk feeling in my stomach than um, the more horror versions of, of issues of this series or even any of the horror stuff we've talked about on this episode. And I think that's maybe the point and maybe the sort of sleight of hand that W. Maxwell Prince is doing here um, is that sort of, Pulling, like still featuring the ice cream and stuff, but if you notice, it's mostly in the front half of the book and sort of pulling oh, that no. stuff oh, away, it's a, still including it. It's in the back it. half too, bro. There's a little bit, yes, and there's touches of it, but the actual horror vision stuff is in the front half. Um, and I think sort of pulling that back and leaving us with just how like hard reality is for us in certain ways and so many people in other larger ways is the true sort of upsetting part about this book and what makes it great. Well, also the move that it does at the beginning where it starts black and white and then goes into a full color page ad and then gets into the normal pace of the comic, it really messes with you in so many ways that like when you're done reading the comic, it sticks with you like a little creature. Like it really just gets underneath your fingernails and really kind of messes and tweaks with you. It is so creepy and truthful and the reality of it messes with you that it almost doesn't have to do anything else. You know what I mean? Um, I just, I can't talk enough about how creative and impressive this is for so long. Like the fact that they're still doing this to us after all this time is really, really impressive. Like the ideas that this comic is cranking out and exploring uh, is unbelievable. And uh, yeah, I mean, this comic should be held up for years and years to come as, uh, as a triumph. I, was so skeeved out and impressed by this uh, by this issue. It was um, it was heartbreaking in different ways and horrifying in different ways that you weren't ready for. But then also kind of gave you that uh, that that punch at the end to kind of still let you know it's an ice cream well, man comic. Not to belabor this point too much, but the thing that I've been feeling that's been creeping in the past couple of issues here on Ice Cream Man, which happened a little bit more over in Clown, is the other anthology that he did right is ha ha thank you uh is there's like there's a glimmer of hope coming through 
that there is something here where we're following this main character who's in rehab and they talk about how everybody in rehab is like, there's a five to 10% chance that you're actually going to never come back to rehab and actually it's going to work, but otherwise you're going to go back. But it, you really, or at least I felt that five to 10% when you're reading that, like there is yeah. that glimmer of hope there when you're reading this thing that I don't think was present in like the first 20 to 25 issues of this book that I've been feeling a little bit here in terms of a hopefulness about the world, a hopefulness about people, about humanity, rather than that nihilism that existed. I don't know if you guys are getting the same thing, but maybe it's just yeah. the way I'm interpreting it. I don't know. Maybe, but it also makes me think there's a future rug pull. Because the other thing that's coming in here is uh, a lot more references back to earlier Ice sure. Man issues. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm starting to feel these threads coming together, and we don't know what the final sort of thing we're going to end up with here. It's it's impressive that you got hope at the end of it because I got the opposite of that because it was like, you know, we had a lot of hope for this character to be able to pull off, you know, not going back to rehab and, you know, spoilers, but when he gets in the taxi after he's done the rehab stint, he says, I go home and then the taxi driver's the ice cream man. I was like, oh, he's not making it fucking home and mm-hmm. this guy's done. Um, so I, I got the opposite of hope. Yeah. I guess, I guess we'll see where it goes. Next up fables, 155, not issue 15 from DC comics written by Bill Willingham art by Mark Buckingham. In this issue, our kids are continuing to go on their adventures. A bunch of other things are happening as is classic fables. What'd you guys think about this one? Sorry that my copy and paste cut me off a, a letter there. You know what I mean? It's really costing me. Uh, Fables. Uh, Pete, it was a number, not a letter. It was a number, not a letter. <laughs> Sorry. Wow, yeah. It was a uh, shake you got coming out there. Uh, this comic is amazing. No. All caps. All right. This is just so creative. So cool. Oh, I, I love caps. this so much. It's so badass. It is. I'm, I love what the characters are doing. I love where their stories going. I love how it's like paced out and there's all these little treats for us in between the panels. This is just high art comic stuff happening. And I just love the shit out of it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, this is the, we said this before, but this is just a straight up continuation of the, the sort of peak of fables from back in the day. And uh, as for the story, I feel like we're in a space where it, the kids, the, the Wolfpack kids are almost, finding the end of the fairy tales here. It feels like each of them are in their journey or coming up against something and not quite on story. Like we have one of the kids dealing with a knight, sort of an errant knight who's just like a dick. Another character who opens up a Pandora's box and uh, it's bad, but then also maybe good. Like we're breaking fairy tales a little bit here, which I think is a nice little turn for this world. Beware the Eye of Odin, number four, from Image Comics, written by Doug Wagner, art by Tim Orlando. This is the final issue in this series where a group of adventurers are trying to bring the Eye of Odin back to the place it belongs. There's some fun twists and fights here. I really enjoyed this series, and I highly recommend picking it up in trade if you can. But what did you guys think? 
Yeah, this is just great. I mean, uh, it's impressive to kind of see the characters go through the change and all the fun stuff that happens. There's also an adorable moment between two of the characters where they're listening at a door. And uh, they do a good job of like, you know, you you kind of want to see what's on the other side of the door, but we're getting told what's happening in an interesting way. And normally you want to show, don't tell. But I feel like this comic pulls it off. Uh, The the troll stuff was super creepy and weird. And and I think they killed that artistically. And uh, I thought it was uh, pretty creative and cool. And the fact that the little mouse got to have a nice moment there was cool. You know, yeah. Shout out to Ralph, S, Ralph S. Mouse on his motorcycle. Um, I thought the art in this was good, and I like the little twists we do at the end here, setting up perhaps another mini series. Yeah. Batman the Night, number nine from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Carmine DJM Domenico. This is the second to last issue of the series, and it finally brings Batman and his frenemy face-to-face with Raish al Ghul to train them, as well as Talia al Ghul. It goes about as you'd expect, but with some modernized twists here. I think the series is an awesome retelling of the origin of Batman, and it continues to do so and be so in this issue. But how are you guys feeling about it? It feels like Chip Zdarsky took like all the fun elements that he liked from the Batman uh, mythology across all the different mediums. This feels very much in line with Batman, the animated series introduction of Ra's al Ghul and Talia al Ghul. Um, and it's just bringing us some uh, a new remix of it, and this is a good remix. Remix, yeah, I, it's Batman the Night with a K, just so you know, people are, mm. are, who are listening, you know, I think Alex pronounced it, he pronounced it. Knight, Knight, I said Knight. Okay. Um, yeah, I think this is really cool. Uh, I, you know, I, I want more, I'm very excited about kind of like uh, well, this, this comic's about to be turned up to 10, so you're gonna check it out next month. Oh, okay, great, yeah, because this is issue number nine, I appreciate that. It's turned around, it's turned to right about nine right now. I just gotta yeah. wait. Oh, check it out more. Yeah, I just I want more of this kind of like before Batman becomes Batman and he's training. This is very exciting peak animated series moments with the you know training and becoming uh you know the the person that we know and love in the comics. So, yeah, I want to get inside his head more. I want to kind of like how do you learn all the fighting techniques? Like what kind of stuff do you go through? So I don't want to fast forward that part. And I'm a little worried that that's happening, but man, I love this book. I like this bold young Bruce who's willing to kind of like uh, push people to see what they're going to do and explore that. I really like that idea. And it's, yeah, it was nice to see, uh, you know, Raish or as I say, Roz, but, uh, and tell you, so That's it was cool though. that, That's incorrect. yeah, I hear you, but, you know, <laughs> I but, say, say. yeah, you know, but it's hard because when you're reading the comics, you didn't know the proper way. Yeah. I was always in my head. Raise Al Gahul. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I mean, I guess I just love uh, Batman or as I say, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way I say it. Uh, but yeah, I'm, oh, I'm enjoying all the fun choices that they're making in this comic. 20th century, 20th century men number two, men men number two from Image Comics, written by S. Morian, art by Dennis Camp. This follows the adventures of a big guy trapped in a robot suit. Well, let me throw like when I was talking about my picks in the live show for this week. Let me mm-hmm. let me just be straight up with you here at the end of the stack. 
I panic picked because mm-hmm. truly my favorite read of the week was this book and the book we're about to talk about right after this. This Whoa. book is epic in a great way. It it is sneakily getting us to, is retelling the Avengers essentially in and like almost an Alan Moore esque exploration of geopolitics at the same time and. I think this is one of the smartest books on the stands. It's really well-drawn characters, and the art on top of all that is great. Uh, This is my favorite book to read when it comes out. I think uh, Justin's underselling the art. It's not great. It's great. This is really cool Same art. word. I would okay. argue that's the uh, same just, Yeah. I, just I would it's say this really. is a thing that I would say is, damn your bananas, this art is good. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Interesting. We have no bananas today. Uh, yeah, I mean – I. Parts of it, there was a lot of text and a lot of the uh, you know stuff uh, that they were doing artistically, which was cool. You didn't read the uh, text, did you? Uh, nope. But uh, I did think that uh, I really loved the the paneling and the action and the art was beautiful. Um, I yeah, I felt like it got a little long in the tooth at parts, but I I really appreciated the fact that they were doing the deep dive on these <laughs> on this character. A little, uh, little long in the what, text. Yeah, but I tell you what, there was a ad, a preview. Uh, it was just a panel for Old Dog, and man, I wish we could get the artist and writer on our show to talk about that because that move away from the seems... mic, move away from the mic. You're not getting our visual signals. You're too hot, too uh, hot on the mic. I so get I was your looking joke. at the art. And I was trying Thank to get to you. the Old Dog thing. All um, I'm gonna say is curse your bananas straight to hell. Let's talk to. You. Let's talk to the next book, which is The Lonesome Hunters, number four from Dark Horse Comics you by Tyler Crook. talk Crook. more about Old Dog? It seems like a really cool book. Oh, my God. It comes out next week, and that's probably when we'll talk yeah, about it. We'll talk about okay, that. Right. So in this issue, our Lonesome Hunters are fighting a bunch of birds with a sword. Justin, I heard a little birdie told me that this is one of your two favorite books of the week. Take it away. He just said that. He, no bird told you anything like it was him. Um, I was in my classic bird character. Who Take your bananas, future. set them on fire, <laughs> and shed them straight to the center of the earth, Pete. Wow. Um, the Lonesome Hunters number four is How one of those you know rare where comics. I keep my Sorry. Great point. Uh, in the banana box. I think this comic is – it has such a great tone. It has two great characters at the center that are – like we're four issues in and you already – like they take care of each other so much. And that's what this issue is sort of about while also having all of these problems or faults or uh, worries in their life. And it's also just a great sort of dark fantasy comic at the same time. I think this is uh, such a good book and feels like if you are a Hellboy fan – and you're, there's a lot of Hellboy coming out, but if you want some Hellboy when it felt sort of essential, when it was like really in continuity, driving the story forward, this is the book for you. I I was really impressed with this book. This like a lot of things all came together in this issue. I uh, the art is just uh, you know peak ripe bananas good. You know what I mean? And uh, I I think that this was. Uh, one of the one of the better issues uh, in the stack this week. This is really just a, a fantastic uh, comic and story. The paneling and the pace and everything was just absolutely beautiful. 
I think uh, you're right on the money with the storytelling feeling like Hellboy. Visually, it looks like The Goon, and those two books yeah. are great. So definitely pick this up. I'm going to move on, though, and talk about our last book, which is one of, if not my favorite book in the stack this week. There it is. Radiant Black, number 18, from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Lawrence Holmes, art by Stefano Simeone. In this issue, we're picking up on the big revelation of the last issue, that Radiant Yellow is from somewhere in the future and knows that our Radiant Blacks because there's two of them now, are going to destroy the entire world. This issue is told over three storylines. The top panels are all, I guess, farther in the past. The middle storyline is a little farther in the past. And the third storyline on the bottom is all in the post-apocalyptic future. I love a good format break. But and I think they crushed it here, but it really is Stefano Simeon's art that makes it. Um, there are so many different styles, so many different tones here. This issue absolutely crushed it. I was a little confused um, uh, with the three different things happening at once, uh, but um, I it's gorgeous, absolutely amazing, and I really love how it ends, and I'm very excited to see. What is going to happen? They do a great job of like really moving things forward and setting things up in an exciting way. Um, but yeah, uh, this is this is a really solid comic. Continues to be a solid comic. Got to give it up to Radiant Black, coming off of uh, closing down sort of a big story arc and then diving face first into something totally uh, format breaking and bringing in um, a lot of new elements at the same time. This feels like sort of uh, almost like high teens invincible issues where um, Kirkman was really laying out a lot of sort of the future continuity. Before Um, it was just punching people through the chest. Well, it was like the first, you know, 10, 12 issues of Invincible, I feel like, were like, look, this is simple, fun, uh, superhero stuff, not a lot of lay on. And then it got into like really punching some things that then the rest of the series played with. That's what I feel like we're getting into here. And it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Pete, could you do me a quick favor and help no. me? Oh, how did I not see that coming? You mother- <laughs>